It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Wolves podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Lockdown Wolves. And today's the day. Timberwolves tip off the regular season at 6.30 p.m. tonight at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. It's finally here. We are going to get into a game preview here for tonight's game against the Nets very shortly and what to watch for in that game specific to the matchup. And then we'll finish off today's episode with some final predictions for the season. I finished the last episode of Lockdown Wolves with my win total prediction. Please go back and listen to it. But I'm going to give it to you as part of this podcast as well, um, as well as where I think they'll finish in the Western Conference. Um, But today we'll also throw out a few additional predictions and quick thoughts on the season as a whole. just related to some individual players, some thoughts I want to get out there on on the record before the season officially tips off on Wednesday evening. Um, but first, we're going to talk Wolves-Nets. And this is our first actual matchup to really dive into and discuss what we can expect um, based on what we know from the preseason, what we know about the Nets, and, um, and what's going to go down on Wednesday night. The line for this game is Nets minus four, which seems a little bit... A little surprising, a little bit high, according or um, based on my opinion. I think you know the Nets are at home, and obviously we're a playoff team last year, and that gives them enough of an edge to to be favored in this game, of course. Uh, but it's hard to argue that they've significantly improved given where their roster sits at the moment, um, not including Kevin Durant, who's out for much of, if not all, of the season due to his Achilles tear that he suffered in the finals when he was still at the Warriors last year. The Nets' high-profile signing was Kyrie Irving. It's not clear how much of an upgrade he really is over D'Angelo Russell, who is now in Golden State, of course, and the Wolves tried to acquire. It, it's He's likely an upgrade at this stage in their respective careers, but not significantly. Um, and so that hasn't really moved them off of where they finished last year, which was um, in the low 40s in terms of wins. Um, and now I feel like I have to have that exact number. So uh, 42 wins last year, which was good enough for the sixth seed in the Western Conference, excuse me, Eastern Conference. Timberwolves fans no doubt remember two years ago when the Wolves won 47 games and had to win on the last night of the regular season just to squeeze in as the eighth seed in the rough and tumble Western Conference. But the Nets managed 42 games, 42 wins, a season ago and that got them the succeed in the East. So there's that. Um, but it's hard to imagine them being a whole lot better simply, you know, upgrading that point guard slightly from Russell to Irving. You look at some of the other additions that they made. Deandre Jordan is the other, uh, higher profile addition again, outside of Durant and Irving. Um, and so, you know, the Jordan addition is, is good. It's solid. Um, Certainly improves their front court, but they already had, you know, a good front court and an exciting big man in Jarrett Allen, um, who's now bumped to the bench more likely than not um, for for the season. Um, Other additions, 
Um, Torian Prince is a really good addition. I've always been a big fan of his. They acquired him from Atlanta. Um, Garrett Temple is less of a good addition, but he's on the team now. Um, David Nwaba, also kind of a fringe addition. Wilson Chandler was was not bad on a one-year a minimum deal, but he was suspended for the first 25 games of the season uh, due to PEDs, so he won't be a factor on Wednesday night. Um, but then look at some of the players they lost. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, obviously, Travion Graham, and... Um, Shabazz Napier are on the Timberwolves this season. Um, they also lost Damari Carroll. So, you know, going from Carroll to Torian Prince is maybe a slight upgrade, but it's, it you know, losing Carroll matters. Alan Crabb's also gone. Ed Davis is gone. He was a significant piece of that rotation. Jared Dudley, the veteran, is gone. Um, so I think there's more talent that left than was added, taking Durant out of the equation. And, and for Wednesday night's game, that's what we're doing. We're taking them out of the equation. There's also some of those intangibles. It is opening night, the home opener for the Nets. Um, you know, their first real home game after their big off season, and surely Durant will be there, and there's going to be a lot of emotion in the building. So that has to be factored in as well. Um, so, you know, certainly makes sense the Nets are favored, but it's not clear that this is – uh, you know, too much of a lopsided matchup. Um, and we're going to get a little bit into the actual, uh, the expected lineups and who's going to be matching up against who here in just a moment. So, um, yeah, that, that'll be the next thing we cover before we get to our predictions. Uh, but first, wanted to once again mention that Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Style, start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. That's $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, digging a little bit more into the X's and O's and the actual matchups of Wolves Nets um, for the opener for both teams. Um, the... Nets a season ago under Kenny Atkinson, their head coach, again, won 42 games. They started off the year really kind of in rough shape. They weren't expected to be very good. The Timberwolves actually beat them twice really early on in the season. The first win that the Wolves had against the Nets, um, you may remember, was the first game after the Jimmy Butler trade. Um, it was the Monday night. Remember, the Wolves had a terrible West Coast swing. I think they lost all five games. They had a number of injuries crop up. Butler didn't play in the Friday night game at at Sacramento and the Wolves got beat badly. Um, the Wolves flew back that Friday night on Saturday morning. The trade was announced um, when that Butler was headed to Philadelphia, Dario Saric um, and Robert Covington were headed to Minnesota on that Saturday, Monday night, the Wolves hosted the Brooklyn Nets at target center. They had a coming into the game. They had a five and nine record and uh, or actually a four and nine record. And, um, didn't have their new players in uniform yet, so they were a little bit shorthanded. The Wolves' starting lineup was Jeff Teague and Derrick Rose starting in the backcourt, Wiggins and Gibson, and then Carl Anthony Towns. Um, and the Wolves won fairly easily. This was a game they ended up winning by seven points. 
Brooklyn put a, put a little bit of a late push on to make things a little bit closer. But um, Towns had a monster game. He had 25 points, 21 rebounds, um, and thoroughly dominated. Jared Allen didn't play in the game. Um, uh, Karokas was not in the starting lineup as of yet and actually didn't play in the game either. Um, so there wasn't much of a, of a front line to, uh, to write to uh, speak of for the Nets. In fact, if you look at their starting lineup, they essentially started a bunch of guards and forwards, D'Angelo Russell, Joe Harris, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Karis Laverne, and Jared Dudley. Um, that was the game. I believe that was the the game that Karis Levert hurt his leg in and was out for, um, for the rest of the season um, in, in that game um, against the Wolves. So, uh, a fairly easy win for the Timberwolves. Neither team really looked like they would later in the season. And then just a couple of weeks later, um, the Wolves played the Nets the Friday after Thanksgiving in Brooklyn, in a matinee game. Um, they took on the Brooklyn Nets and won by 10 at Barclays Center. They did, of course, have their new additions in that game. So Robert Covington was in the starting lineup, but only attempted eight shots, scored seven points, six rebounds, did have five steals. Um, and then Sharch came off the bench in that game for the Wolves and only had three points and two rebounds himself. Um, the Nets were a little bit more at full strength than had Jared Allen in the starting lineup. And um, Karukas still was not playing. Um, Shabazz Napier only played 17 minutes in that game. Trevion Graham did not dress for the game um, that night either. So not a whole lot. The Wolves won both matchups last year, but at the time both teams were 8-11, were 8-12 eight and 11, eight and 12 in that range. And it wasn't clear that the Nets were going to end up above 500 and make the playoffs in the East. Also of note last season, and again, the Nets have a little bit of a different roster just as much as the Wolves. There was a lot of kind of second unit roster churn for both of these teams. The Nets obviously had the higher profile moves in the starting lineup, but the second units changed quite a bit for both teams. Um, on the season last year, the Nets were very middle of the pack in a lot of categories. Their offense and defense were fairly middle of the pack. Um, of course, if you're going to be middle of the pack in both, you are going to be a 500, maybe slightly above team, and that's exactly what they were. Um, they were a top five team in terms of made three-pointers, top 10 in rebounding. Um, they didn't do a lot of the other stuff, the steals and the blocks. They didn't turn teams over, um, and, and they were just kind of a solid team. Atkinson did a great job. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how much of that changes this year. It seems to be a system that will work well for Kyrie Irving. Obviously D'Angelo Russell had a great season last year. Um, so I'm sure we'll see tons of tons of, um, opportunities for Irving and be interesting to see how they, uh, work Deandre Jordan into the mix in the starting lineup and how they use him. And then also split his playing time with Jared Allen. Well, obviously make Carl Anthony Towns life a little bit more difficult. Um, Towns obviously very familiar with playing DeAndre Jordan quite a bit in the Western Conference, um, and there's definitely been some ups and downs in those battles over the years. Um, so that'll be the the one matchup to keep an eye on. A lot of the Nets' strengths are focused in their backcourt with Kyrie Irving, with Joe Harris, um, and uh, Karis LeVert. And you look at the Wolves, and Towns is, is the focal point. Um, and he's he's going to have to have a big game in this one. And the Wolves, as is going to be a common theme throughout the season, they're going to get plenty of open three-point shots. It's just a matter of can they make them with the, with the shooters that they have on the team. And to make matters a little bit more difficult, the Nets were actually a, a good team last year in terms of limiting opposing 
players shot attempts from beyond the arc and the success rate from beyond the arc. The Nets uh, were fifth in the league in allowing the third, or excuse me, the fifth least amount of three-point attempts per game at just 10.3, and opponents' three-point percentage was third best in the league at 34.1%. Um, for comparison's sake, the Timberwolves allowed the second most threes in the league. Um, they're actually second to the Milwaukee Bucks, who allowed the most, um, and the second highest three-point percentage in the league, um, which, incidentally, the Milwaukee Bucks were eighth. Um, and it was actually the Cleveland Cavaliers that allowed the highest percentage from beyond the arc last season. The Wolves allowed opponents to shoot 37.8% from beyond the arc, um, whereas the Nets allowed just 34.1%. So as we saw in the preseason, the Wolves are going to launch tons of threes, but outside of Townsend Covington, they don't have anybody that has had recent success from beyond the arc um, that is significant enough to really strike fear into the heart of their opponents. Um, so keep an eye on that um, in this game. The Wolves are certainly going to get their shots up, and if they're not falling, they don't have a lot of margin for error. Um, and if this comes down to the wire late, um, the Nets will probably have Jared Allen on the floor checking Carl Anthony Towns, although Towns, um, you know, should have some success against Allen in a close late situation. The Nets probably don't want DeAndre Jordan on the floor, um, you know, down the stretch. And so it'll be interesting to see how they manage that front court against Towns and how the Wolves choose to try and defend Kyrie Irving with their new look defense as well. Um, in this, in the second meeting between the Nets and Wolves last year, Jared Allen did play in that game. Um, and, and didn't do a whole lot. He played 26 minutes, had 12 points, four rebounds. Towns didn't dominate to the tune of a 2020 game like he did the first time around. He did have 21 points, but just nine rebounds and was nine of 18 from the floor, only made one three in the game. Um, so the Nets did a good job on him when Allen was available to play. So between Allen and Jordan, I'm curious to see how they choose to defend Towns and the different looks they throw at him. Um, this is one of the games where the Wolves will be able to start basically whoever they want at the two, the three, and the four, um, because Karukas is a little bit of an undersized four, assuming he's starting there with Joe Harris and Karis Silvert on the wing. Um, and Covington will fit right in there and, and should be a superior rebounder to those guys as well. Um, and so the Wolves actually match up fairly well from a starting lineup perspective. It's just a question of, will the Nets have too much talent in the backcourt and enough to slow down Towns in the front court to hold off the Wolves and ultimately win the game? Um the call here, I, I think the Nets are going to win in a close one. I think it'll be a good a good game, uh, but I do think the Nets win. Um, and I'm going to say that the that um, they are not able to cover the spread of minus four. I do think it's a close game, and I think that the Wolves um, definitely give them a run for their money in this one. But um, you know, we'll of course be recapping the game and discussing the opener um, in tomorrow's podcast as well. So be sure to tune in to that win or loss. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. 
J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, it's prediction time. So, I've already gone on record with my Timberwolves win total for the season. If you missed that in yesterday's episode, again, please go back and listen. But I'm on record as saying the Wolves are going to win 43 games. I wrote an article for Dunking with Wolves um, this week saying the Wolves would break the 40 win mark. Um, I just went ahead and, and for the purposes of this podcast and, and really just putting a little bit, um, I guess, more fine of a number on it. Um, I'm going to say it's 43 wins. I don't think that's enough for the playoffs in the West this season or really almost any season in the recent past. I'm going to say they finished ninth or 10th, more likely 10th in the West, given how strong the conference is. But I'm going to say the Wolves win 43 games. And the only real thing that's going to slow them down there is obviously an injury to Towns and even some of those nagging injuries like uh, Covington only playing in 22 games or whatever it was with the Wolves last year. And then Teague only playing in half the team's games last season. Um, that If that sort of thing repeats itself this year, the Wolves will really struggle to get the, the, to that 40 win mark. But I think the depth on this team and the strength of the starting lineup and Towns superstardom is going to get them to those 43 wins. So the rest of today's episode, we're going to focus more specifically on, on I'm not going to call these bold predictions. Um, they're just general predictions. All of them are entirely plausible, but but oddly specific. And so I just want to uh, to get these out there and, and, and again, um, on the record. Um, I want to say Carl Anthony Towns has a, a season where his shooting splits reach 55-42-85. So that's 55% on field goal attempts, 42% or better on three-point attempts, and 85% at the free throw line. Um, the second of those three numbers and third of those three numbers he's achieved before. So two seasons ago in his first all-star campaign, 2017-18, when Jimmy Butler was on the team for the season and they went to the playoffs, Towns shot 42.1% from beyond the arc and 85.8% from the free throw line. So he eclipsed the 42% and 85% marks. Um, that season dipped back last year to 40% flat from beyond the arc and 83.6% from the charity stripe. He has never shot 55% from the field. He was over 54% each of his first three seasons, but couldn't get to 55. Last year, he was a hair. He was at 51.8, so under 52% last season. I'm going to say he puts all the three of those numbers together and achieves a 55-42-85 split on the year. And if I were an A++ podcast host, I would have had an entire list of all the guys who have had 50, 40, 90, excuse me, 50, 40, 85 seasons. The 50, 40, 90 club, of course, is only eight guys. Um, Malcolm Brogdon and Steph Curry doing it most recently. And then, um, you know, a list of Larry Bird, Kevin Durant, Reggie Miller, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Mark Price. I don't know if Towns gets to 90% from the free throw line. It's certainly within his his capabilities, but I'm going to go ahead and call a 52, a very specific 55, 42, 85 season for Carl Anthony Towns um, this year. So that's that's the first of, of my, again, oddly specific predictions um, for this final preview episode of the offseason. Um, my other predictions related to um, player movement 
I'm going to predict that Robert Covington is traded at some point in the next 12 months, probably at the trade deadline, but it, it may not happen until the offseason. It may be draft night. Um, I don't think the Wolves want to trade Robert Covington. Um, there was a bit Zach Lowe actually had a mention in his final ESPN article before the season where he mentioned this scenario in which the Wolves don't really want to trade Covington, but if he plays well and stays healthy, he's one of their better trade assets, if not the best that they would actually consider trading. And they may be able to move him as part of a bigger deal, perhaps just to Golden State and getting D'Angelo Russell back sometime after December 15th. Um, perhaps it's to another contender. It's the type of thing where Covington's deal is so team-friendly that if he can show he's healthy and a, it can be a borderline defensive player of the year candidate and a legit 3 and D guy, they can probably get actual assets, certainly get actual assets, but perhaps even get a team to overpay for Covington. And with, you know, if the Wolves think their best case scenario is mid forties wins and, and a maybe a shot at an eight seed, you know, Wayne, why not improve yourself even more for the near future and trade him for some assets? So I do think Covington gets moved. My gut tells me it's probably not until June or July of next off season. It's probably not at the trade deadline, but there remains a possibility, especially if the Wolves struggle early in the season. And if Covington's playing out of his mind and his value is extremely high, expect Gerson Rosas to act and trade him. My other player movement related prediction is that Jeff Teague will be traded and that he will be traded at the trade deadline. Um, his expiring $19 million deal, it's a lot of money for Jeff Teague, but it is expiring and Teague is still a good player. If he proves that he's healthy this year, he could be a very good trade asset for a team that's point guard poor. I mean, look at all the teams George Hill's been shipped off to from Cleveland to Utah um, and beyond. Um, you know, it, and, and I guess Indiana going back a couple of years further. Um, and Jeff Teague is essentially, I, I think he's a slightly better version of George Hill if he's healthy. Um, Teague will be somebody that, that um, teams could be interested in if they have an injury, especially um, you look at actually Utah is not a bad example of a team that doesn't have a lot of point guard depth. Um, and if Mike Conley misses some games, which he tends to do, they could be looking for somebody who can fill in for him um, every now and again, play second night to back-to-backs as a starting point guard maybe as the season wears on, um, or just be a solid backup. And, and Jeff Teague could be that guy at 31 years old with playoff experience in every season of his career except for last year. Um, so I would expect Teague to get moved, and I think the Wolves will actually get something back for him because of his expiring deal. Um, and this is a big, you know, it's a big deal if Teague stays healthy. Um, on the front end, simply because the Wolves don't have point guard depth themselves, themselves, Shabazz Napier is a good backup point guard, but there's nothing behind him. Jordan McLaughlin is a two-way player who can only play so many games at the NBA level, um, and I'm not sure anybody thinks he's ready to to be converted to a, a full-time player. Jarrett Culver's going to run initiate the offense but he's not going to really play point guard you don't want Andrew Wiggins doing it um, so the Wolves need Teague to stay healthy for that reason and also because they they would like to see if they can contend but then also to build his trade value um, and so they can get a maximum return at the deadline um, and who knows maybe they have their eyes set on a deal with the Warriors and tentatively that could be a, a Teague and Covington um, 
involved going back to Golden State to strengthen the Warriors' depth and spread out their talent a little bit for this season and beyond, at least in the case of Covington. Um, think about that team with Covington and a healthy Clay Thompson next year, um, you know, with Draymond Green, with Steph Curry, and then this year to have Teague assist, you know, backing up Curry, um, and then Covington playing the role that Clay Thompson would typically play. Um, remember, Andre Iguodala is not there anymore either. So um, that could be something that, that comes to fruition at the deadline. Um, and potentially those two, Covington and Teague, are moved together. My last prediction is, is I guess, loosely called a prediction, or you can loosely call it a prediction. Really just that I think the fifth starting lineup spot for the Wolves is going to be rotated between a number of guys throughout the year. I don't think they settle on a typical fifth starter. Um, and, and, and this would, I guess, go on a little bit on a limb because a lot of times coaches don't like to to do this. It's a little bit like the closers role in, in baseball um, until very recently. And even still now, a lot of teams like to, it's the whole know your role thing and make sure that you know, your closer knows he's your closer um, and so forth. And so, you know, why jerk guys around in and out of the starting lineup when you could just tell them what the role is. Uh, but I do think the Wolves are going to play the matchups. Um, so for instance, opening night, I think it makes sense um, for, I guess either Jake Lehman or Travion Graham to start Rocco to start at the four for the Wolves. But um, you look at Covington, Andrew Wiggins, Jake Lehman, Josh Okogie, Travion Graham, Jarrett Culver, all those guys, that's, that's what six guys for three spots in the lineup. Not all of them can play the four. Obviously you're not going to put Josh Okogie at the four, but for the most part, those parts are interchangeable between those three roles between the, the two, the three and the four. So I think you're going to see Covington and Wiggins getting consistently the heaviest minutes with Lehman, Akogi, Culver, and Graham all kind of kind of shifting based on matchups and who's got the hot hand and, and foul trouble and all those things, and they'll all kind of be in that same range for minutes played per game when it's all said and done. Um, I think that of the four of them, Lehman's going to get the most consistent minutes. I think um, Culver will build up throughout the season and probably by the end of the year be playing the most and may even be in the starting lineup. Um, and then a Kogi and Graham will be kind of just based on matchup on a, on a matchups on a night to night basis. Um, but I think that Saunders plans to use that spot and just kind of rotate guys through again, depending on the matchups and not lock himself in to one guy as, as the quote unquote fifth starter. That's all we have in terms of predictions on this, our final episode. Um, prior to the start of the season. Get excited for Wolves Nets tonight. We will be back on Thursday morning with a podcast bright and early recapping the game on Wednesday. All the pros and cons from the game, diving a little bit into the X's and O's, what the rotations look like. Certainly there will be plenty to overanalyze and honestly overreact to because that's what we do after game one of 82. So get excited to do that with us here at Locked On Wolves. We'll look back at the podcast here in a few weeks and we'll undoubtedly laugh at some of the overreactions that we had and maybe some of the underreactions we had after one game. Um, but there will be plenty to to dissect for sure. So check back here early on Thursday morning. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. That's all we have today. We'll be back in the morning. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Lockdown podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 